And you don't know where it's coming from, where it's going, who's going to touch. But if it comes near you, amen, you need to get into it. Hallelujah. If the wind starts blowing, you got to get there and feel where it's coming from. Lift your hands up and get a hold of it. Amen. Let it bless you. Let it refresh you. In a hot day, when the wind comes, it feels good, doesn't it? And the Spirit of God is just like that. It's cool, refreshing waters. Jesus said that his Spirit would be like that. Waters of living water coming out of our, our very being, our belly, our deepest being. And I feel it here this morning. It's moving in our midst. It's flowing in you, and that's the most important thing. And it's refreshed us. It's refreshed us. Praise the name of the Lord. And I feel like I do want to share a few things with you from the Word. So if you be a little bit more patient, amen, you can return to your seats. And Jesus said the true worshipers are they that worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Hello? You got to have the spirit. You got to have the spirit. But it's also the Word. Hallelujah. So I don't want to miss an opportunity ever when we get together life and the Spirit of God is moving. But listen, God had done more in here than we can do in 10 hours. God's already moved. Hallelujah. I don't even know if we're going to have an altar call. We had one just now. God moved in the hearts. God spoke to many in here. God touched many in here. God encouraged many in here. Many were refreshed while you were just here at the altar. Amen. It's up to you get it, to get it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I so much appreciate the presence of God. This all about him and what he wants to do is what we're going to do. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. You know, he never let a miracle interrupt him from his teaching either. <laughs> Praise God. There's a miracle and then he goes on. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we're going to do some of that this morning. Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel the joy of the Holy Ghost today. I do. Don't you feel good? I feel joy. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. John chapter 2, <clears throat> familiar portion of Scripture. You read it. I read it. You heard it. I heard it. You sang it. We sang it. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, chapter 2, verse 1. John, the beloved disciple writing here, and this gospel version is written from his perspective about the end of the first century, if not the first end century, 100 AD. Some say just 97, 98, they don't know. He was the last one to die, and he was the last one to write the gospel out of the four. And he left out a lot of things that the other three didn't cover. And he addressed those things as inspired by the Spirit. I mean, we're told all Scripture is by inspiration of God. Word inspiration, it is by God breathed, literally. Whew. They moved, they wrote as God moved. It wasn't just happenstance. It wasn't just... Uh, uh, something that was just an intellectual exercise, no far be it from it. It was God-inspired and God-directed and God-led, God-dictated. So at the 
end of the first century, he writes his gospel looking back on Jesus' life, his and John's part in it, and his minister with Jesus as an apostle. And uh, he says some very interesting things. In fact, he's the only one that records this miracle we're about to read right now. The other three do not talk about it. Chapter 2, verse 1. And the third day, everybody say the third day. day. There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim, and he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, in parentheses, John says, But the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man, everybody say, Every man. At the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. Everybody say worse. Worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus and Cain of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples Believed on him. Hallelujah. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. Hallelujah. My simple message today is this. Jesus always saves the best for last. I said Jesus always saves the best for last. Hallelujah. Somebody clap your hand unto the Lord and say, Hallelujah. Lord, bless this church today. Bless the word, O oh God. As we gather around, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, open our hearts and our minds. Let this sink deep down into our spirits. Let us gain refreshing and strength out of there. Lord, in the name of Jesus, bless your people today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to try to hit you with a double-barreled spiritual shotgun today. I mean, it's two main points. John, in this particular message, connects two things at once. He connects, first of all, the role of Moses in the Old Testament. And he ties it to Jesus. And the miracle, the first miracle that Jesus did links Jesus together with Moses. Moses being the deliverer of the people of God, Israel, in the Old Testament. And here's now Jesus, the author and the establisher of the new covenant, both established by blood. Hallelujah. Both of them 
are deliverers. Moses came to deliver Israel. Jesus came to deliver the entire world. Hallelujah. And then we'll look at the importance of this miracle and uh, how that Jesus indeed always saves the last for best. Hallelujah. And the best for last. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Jesus uh, did some wonderful things. In fact, John at the end of this gospel said uh, that if he, that if, if he could re- write all of the miracles that Jesus did in the presence of his apostles, that it, it, suppose the whole world could not contain all the books. A hyperbole to say that there were so many more than were recorded. But John, inspired by the Spirit, focuses on seven miracles that Jesus performed and that John recorded in his gospel. In John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, we just read about the water being turned into wine. In John chapter 4, we read about the healing of the nobleman's son from Cana also, in fact. In John chapter 5, we read about the healing at the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 6, first part, the first half of the chapter, we read about the feeding of the 5,000 people. That's men only, not to mention women and children. So there were probably at least 15,000 people that Jesus fed with just a few loaves and fishes. And then in John chapter 6, verse 15 through 21, the second half of the chapter, we find Jesus exercising authority and power gravity, and he walks on the water. John chapter 9 We read about the healing of the man that's born blind. He never was able to see before until Jesus healed him. And then in John chapter 11, we see the raising of Lazarus from the dead. One miracle after the other, he leaves in his gospel the best for last, the resurrection of the dead. But I'm here to submit to you today that there is a greater miracle than the raising of Lazarus because the greatest miracle that Jesus then showed them is that when he three days later after being crucified and died and buried, he was risen from the dead. Amen. And he showed himself alive. All the others that Jesus raised from the dead have to die again. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he never died again and he never will. He lives forevermore. Can you say praise the Lord? Noticed uh, that John didn't lose uh, uh, the, the, the sight of the hint of the Spirit in chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, And the third day, and the third day, hallelujah, Jesus began to manifest his glory. And when he was resurrected from the dead, amen, he was in a glorified state, and he revealed himself in the fullness of his glory. And they all watched him ascend into heaven, Acts chapter 1, with the great commission to going forth and being the witnesses to the world that Jesus called them to become. Hallelujah. But in this first miracle, John says that Jesus began began to manifest his glory. It's what Jesus planned to do to gradually reveal himself, miracle after miracle, so that they would have faith and believed in him. And this first miracle occurs in Cana at a wedding. I went there when we all went there, the trip to Israel about three years ago. Amen. Before it was shut down because of COVID. And uh, we were there, and you can still go by the side of the road. They have shops and souvenirs you can get, and they're still sending little jugs of wine. You can see, hallelujah. They still remember the story, but they're making a profit off of it. Hallelujah. Amen. The first miracle took place there, not too far from Nazareth. And from this story, it's evident that Jesus shows up where he is invited. 
The Bible says he and his disciples were all invited. And Jesus was glad to go. And when Jesus shows up, he usually leaves a miracle behind. Jesus something always does something that changes the atmosphere and changes the situation. That's why we want Jesus in our church. We want his spirit to move in our midst. We want to yield to him. We want to invite his presence. Because when you do, hallelujah, things happen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And this story that we read also is the first of many stories that Jesus was not a party pooper. He was always welcome among those who were having a good time. Jesus is not against having a good time. And the Bible is clear to tell us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was also there. And we're told that by John, in fact, that while the celebration was going on, they ran out of wine. How do we know we had it already? Because the governor said, hey, every man sets the, 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 the good stuff first and then that which is bad. So they already had the good stuff and it's now all gone. And so, you know, the, Mary came to him and, and we got to wonder why. Why did she come to Jesus at this time right now? We hardly hear about her uh, except in the beginning when Jesus was born. And now here we are in John chapter 2 at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry here Jesus is, and, and in Cana in a village, and, uh, and here she is, and, and she comes forth with this request to Jesus. Now, we don't know why exactly, but we, we may th- speculate that Mary had a, an interest in Jesus revealing himself as to who he really is. See, she might have felt that it was right, it, indeed, time for him uh, to, to reveal who he is as he began his public ministry. Maybe it was also time that she felt it was time for her to come out from under that great shadow of her questionable pregnancy that she had about 30 years ago. Maybe there were some things on the inside of him that were troubling her. Maybe there were some people who were still making fun of her. I don't know. But at this particular time, it could be Mary said, you know, Jesus, I know who you are. I remember the angelic manifestation. I remember the message of Gabriel. I know you're special. I know you're anointed. I don't understand it all, but I know that God is in it, and it's time to say something. Hallelujah. 30 years, he was nothing but a carpenter's son, amen, and perhaps practicing carpentry trade under his earthly father, Joseph, but he's not around anymore. But now Mary comes to Jesus and makes this request. Now, she knew that he'd already entered public ministry. She knew that he was baptized by John the Baptist. She knew that it was confirmed that he is special because he heard of the sign that John saw in that vision of the Holy Ghost descending on Jesus as or like a dove. And she knew that, uh, that, she, that he was already uh, in the wilderness for 40 days and he came out victorious and and he already, she already saw that he was beginning to gather disciples around him. And there's a following that's coming after Jesus. And she knew that John the Baptist introduced him already as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And she also saw how that she distanced himself from his earthly family. He moved away from Nazareth and opened up residence in Capernaum. And he began to call the disciples to him. And he began to live a separate life now, focused on his ministry. But Mary's request really wasn't for herself. 
It was really something that was a real need. See, in a Jewish culture, a wedding was not just a marriage ceremony. It was a feast, a very important feast in Jewish culture. And the wedding was supposed to be the best feast of all. Hallelujah. Now, in the old country, when I was uh, back in Hungary as a child, I remember going to a, a wedding. And over there in the old country, in the old times, uh, and I'm old, <laughs> hallelujah, praise God, they used to have a wedding for three days. It was a three-day celebration. And people were sleeping in the barns and out in the field, anywhere they can find a spot. Amen. Night and day, there was singing, there was celebration, there was eating. Amen. And it was amazing. I still remember. It still stands out in my mind. But it was in Jewish culture similar. They, they had a big party. And to run out of food or wine especially was a major social mistake. It was a most shameful uh, 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 event that took place when, when, when somebody ran out of wine that was a symbol of joy among rabbis' teachings, that wine is joy. Hallelujah. And such kind of an error would really be a black mark upon that couple, something that would go with shame for the rest of their marriage. You think about it. Thinking back in such a close-knit community, they'd be always talked about as the couple that ran out of wine, the couple that ran out of food, and they didn't have enough for anybody. What a shame it was. And, and we could go into more detail about living in a collectivist society. Amen. And it's still that way in many ways in the Middle East, and we don't understand it in our Western, rugged, individualistic mindset. But in the different parts of the world, they're more collectivist. They share food more. They share more of everything they have. They share more of their space. They share more of their food. They share more of a lot of things that we here would be hoarders of and just gather for ourselves together. Amen. But the rabbis taught that this wine was a joy. And when they ran out of wine, they ran out of joy, so to speak. But Jesus had the answer. Amen. Because see, when he was born in Bethlehem, we read about this thing where the angel said, glad tidings I bring you, tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. And this miracle just attested to it. Jesus turning the water into wine. Now, after Mary came to Jesus, Jesus immediately set the the tone of this relationship and change the dynamics here. Now, when he said woman, understand, he wasn't being harsh. It wasn't as, as harsh as it sounds in English. What she was really saying, like lady, like, like lady, or he wasn't. But notice he never called her mom. He didn't say mother. He said woman. He said lady. He's distancing himself from him. And that was on purpose. He wanted to emphasize that at the very start of his public ministry, now they had a different relationship with each other than before. He made it clear that if she ever needed his help again, that she must not approach him on the basis of their mother and son relationship. Because see, he was God manifest in the flesh. And if Jesus could save her, hallelujah, she had to recognize who he really was, her savior. He came to save her from her sins, just like everybody else on the face of the earth. And so Jesus had to get Mary to change her perception of him so that she could recognize him indeed for who he was. God manifest in the flesh, 
who came to die for her also, so that she can be born again of the water and the Spirit and be filled with the Holy Ghost as indeed she was on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 1 records the 12 apostles there. And Mary, among many other women, was present when she was filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, just like anybody else. But if her perception would not have changed, amen, if she would just look at Jesus, well, he's just, just my son. Oh, no. Jesus had to change the perception, Mary. I'm not your son. I'm your God, manifest in flesh. We, I use your body to bring forth that which I could not do in the spirit. My spirit does not have flesh and blood. I needed, amen, a body to bring forth a child to fulfill my promise to Eve in the garden. Amen. To Adam, too, that the seed of the woman is going to come and redeem mankind. It was the woman who was the instrument of the fall and the sin. And woman's going to with the instrument of salvation for all of mankind. I'm going to bring everything back into harmony again and in reconciliation with me. Notice Mary didn't have a problem with Jesus when he called her woman. Amen. She just looked at him and yieldedly told the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatever he tells you, he is special. He's anointed. I know deep down under, hallelujah, I know who he is. But whatever he says, do it. You may not understand it, but do it. So Jesus tells the servants, fill up the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now notice, John makes the careful note here that, that these water pots were after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. It was ceremonial water. It was water. He said two or three firkins apiece, six of these pots, 18 to 27 gallons. It's a lot of water that they set out to the side for the people when they come inside to wash their feet. Now, mind you, they didn't tilt this pot over and pour it on people's feet. They used smaller pitchers to collect the water and pour it on the people. Amen. It wasn't not water that had foot junk in the water that Jesus turned into wine. Uh-uh. There was no floaters in that wine. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. But it was after the purifying of the Jews. It was ceremonial. It was Old Testament stuff. And Jesus comes with the New Testament stuff. Oh, hallelujah. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Calm yourself, George. Mm. He tells them to fill the water to the, to, to just fill it up. And the servants filled it to the brim. I have to show that Jesus was not going to add anything. He was not going to add anything to turn to wine. In fact, there was no room to add anything. All he's going to do is transform it. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus said to the servants, all right, draw out now means you don't pick it up. Do you ever try to pick up a five-gallon jug? Brother, I was already thinking of this message when I asked you, how many gallons goes in that? You know, Brother, Brother Drake here, you know, has, deals in water. Praise God. And living water, too. Hallelujah. Praise God. There's big jugs. You ever see those big blue ones? They're five, six gallons, something like that. You pick one of those up, and it weighs a lot. It weighs a ton. Hallelujah. Now imagine picking up 18 to 27 gallons. You couldn't carry that. Not to mention the, the clay. It was, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, you'd have to be Hercules, I guess, to do something like that. But 
they took, they drew out by taking pictures. And the servants took the water from that pot and they started pouring into the cups. And while the servants obeyed, Man, I wish the people of God would latch on to that. Hallelujah. I wish we'd just obey and do what Jesus tells us. When we come in agreement with him, things happen. Miracles are performed. Amen. Bodies are healed. Amen. Chains break loose. Amen. People are delivered. If they would just do what Jesus tells them to do. The servants didn't do the miracle. Jesus did. But they had a part of it in obedience and in faith. You and I have a part in every miracle. Hallelujah. We don't do it, but we have a part. It's our faith. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So draw out now and bear to the governor of the feast. And then the Bible says that when a governor tasted the water, turned the wine, he goes to the bridegroom and he makes this statement. And we read it. And I'm going to read it again. Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. You have kept the best for last. Hallelujah. In other words, amen. It is the best for last. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And it's not the only time that God does it. It's not the only time that Jesus did it this way. And that's what I get across to you today. Amen. Now look at this miracle of the water being turned or transformed into wine. If you think about it, I mentioned some of this at a prayer meeting last Monday or a week before then. And if you think about it, well, if you're going to make wine, you're going to have to plant the vine. You have to grow the grape. You have to wait till it ripens. You have to wait till it gets juicy and all the rain comes, you know, and fills up the grapes. You have to prune them to make sure that all the juices goes to, uh, to not spread out so much that it becomes sour. You've got to focus on it. You've got to cultivate it. It takes time. And then when you uh, harvest it, you put it in the baskets. I was part of that as a kid in old country as well. You carry it in big baskets down to a big vat and there were people standing in there, standing high Hallelujah. With clean feet. Hallelujah. Amen. And there was cushion, trampling, pressing out the grapes. Hallelujah. Getting all that juice out of it. And the bottom of that huge barrel, that huge vat had a spigot and the juice came out from there. But what was taking place in that, in that, that crushing was the separation of the juice from the skin and the seed. Amen. It took time to do that. And then the juice would come out. Then it would have to ferment a while before you can get to that wine. Now, when I say wine, understand, according to the researcher William Barclay, I read, amen, that the Jews used to drink wine, two parts wine and three parts water. Two parts wine, three parts water. It was watered down. It wasn't strong alcoholically. Amen. That's why they never got drunk. Hallelujah. Two parts wine, three parts water. Thank you, Jesus. But notice, it takes a while to process the grape to become wine. But Jesus bypassed the process and he turned it instantly from water into wine. Hallelujah. Now that's a powerful miracle. And that's important because if he exercised power over nature once, he can do it again. There's no limit to his power. And if he can transform water to wine, he can transform you and I. 
Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. Hallelujah. By the renewing of your mind. You can be transformed. You can change. You can be a better person. You can be made into the image of Jesus Christ. You can become like him. Amen. The power of his spirit is working on the inside of you. He can do the impossible. He can bypass all kind of processes. If you would just let him. If you just obey his word and tell you, amen, to do what he tells you to do. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise now let me focus a couple of minutes here on, on Moses. I'm telling you, this is one of the two barrels of the shotgun. Bam. John 1, 17, the previous chapter, he mentions this. Now, this is the chapter where John begins in the beginning with the word, the word with God, the word was God. And verse 14, the word became flesh. The thought, the divine thought was expressed that became flesh. And then in verse 17, John makes an interesting statement. He says, the law, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He mentions Moses in here. See, Moses was the lawgiver of the Old Testament, and Jesus is the lawgiver of the New Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses prophesied of the coming Messiah. And he was speaking of Jesus. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, a lawgiver, a miracle worker, a man who ordains a covenant by blood. And unto him you shall hearken. Unto him. Hearken means in King James, listen and obey. It's not just hear him. It's not just listening to him talk, but doing what he says. And that's why Moses said, unto him you shall hearken. You better listen to him. Because he goes on in verse 18, he said, you better listen. I'm going to put words in his mouth, and that's going to be law. So before Pharaoh released the people of Israel, going back to Moses. God caused Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, right? But Pharaoh was unwilling. So God allows Moses to do 10 plagues, right? To show the power of God. Now, if you want to make it real interesting, the first thing, hallelujah, before he went to the plague is that he had the test of the snakes, the serpent in Pharaoh's court. Remember that? Moses threw his rod down and turned into a serpent. And then the magicians of Pharaoh could duplicate that. But Moses' serpent swallowed up the other two. Hallelujah. It's interesting. Before Jesus started his public ministry, amen, he faced the serpent, Slewfoot, Satan out in the wilderness first in private, amen, not in public. But here now when Moses went public and demanded that Pharaoh release the tribes of Israel, God gave Moses 10 plagues. And the very first plague is he took his rod and touched the water and turned the water blood red. Jesus, the lawgiver of the New Testament, did a similar thing. He changed water and turned it into wine. It was a sign that Jesus was that prophet that Moses prophesied about 1,500 years before Jesus Christ began his public ministry. We can also make further comparison between the water and wine and Moses and Jesus and the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Moses turned water into blood showing that the law, the Old Testament law, brings forth death. But Jesus, the author of the New Testament, turned water into wine showing that the New Testament brings forth gladness and joy. Luke 2.10, I mentioned the angel already saying, the angel said unto them, fear not for behold, I'll bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Romans 14.17, for the kingdom of God is neither meat nor drink, uh, hallelujah, but righteousness, uh, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You understand that our God wants to have joy? You got to have joy. God wants you to have not just the right standing with him. He just doesn't want you just to be, you know, a stoic, uh, nice, uh, righteous person. No, he wants you to have peace on the inside in the midst of the storm. Peace on the inside despite of the, the upheavals going around the world with wars and rumors of wars uh, and all kinds of fearful things, climate change, uh, and God knows what else. Uh, but peace is one of the attributes uh, of the kingdom of God, part and parcel with the spirit gives you when you're filled with him. Amen. But hallelujah, it's joy in the Holy Ghost that he also wants you to have. And this beginning of miracles that Jesus did in Canaan, it was the first sign of the coming of a new covenant. It's where a conversion takes place from the old ways, from the ceremonial law. Water pots, anyone? From the ceremonial law, washings and purification to a new life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And why was all this written? John 20, verse 30, 31, he says this. And many other signs, signs or miracles. Truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in his book. But these are written. These are written. Why? That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is Greek. Messiah is Hebrew the son of God and the believing you might have life through his name. This first miracle was to be a sign to the Israelites to understand that Jesus is that prophet uh, that Moses prophesied about uh, and that Jesus is coming to establish a new covenant, uh, a new and living way, a better way. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, uh, so that we might have faith in Jesus Christ and his work and his word. For John, all of Jesus' miracles were signs that point beyond themselves, and it clearly showed that there is transformational power associated with Jesus. Jesus can change your life. And the progression from the Old Testament to the New Testament shows that with God, things always go from good, better, and best. Seven times Hebrews, it says about New Testament, it's better, it's better, better priesthood, better promises, better covenant, better everything. And Jesus always saves the best for last. And we must understand that this first miracle that Jesus performed was not only to show that Jesus was God, the promised Messiah, but to compare and contrast this radical difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. All right, now I'm going over to the second shotgun, the second barrel. I talked about Moses and his connection to Jesus. Now I'm going to talk about the comparison between God's kingdom and the kingdom of the world. It's something that the governor of the feast alluded to. Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. That's really a, 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 
a shadow, a type and shadow of the world he's speaking of. Because that's what the world does. The world always offers the best up front. And from there, it goes downhill. The world always offers the best wine in the beginning. When you think in terms of our life, you and I, when we're born, our strength is in our youth. And the older we grow, our eyesight dims. Uh, our strength weakens. Uh, amen. And our, our, our weariness and weakness sets in at middle age. Solomon said then there comes a time when we will say, uh, amen, that I have no pleasure in them. Young people, I was there. Believe me. I know what it's like to be 5 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, 18 years old, 25 years old, 35 years old. Here I am at 70. And let me tell you, uh, there's some things that I wish I could do, but I can't. And there's some things that I did when I was young, I enjoyed, and I just don't enjoy them anymore. I'm a different person than when I was 18. Amen. You will change. You are just like everybody else. It's the word of God, as Solomon and his wisdom said. It'll change and you'll come to the place where you say, I don't enjoy it anymore. And a life without God is just like that. It gives you the best in the beginning, but it's those who give their life to God that can say, as the song says, he gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. He just gets better and better, sweeter and better. I just keep falling in love with him over and over again. Falling in love with him again. Yeah. See, hey, it's been a long time since I sang in choir. 40 years. Hallelujah. But I still remember the words, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I remember the song. And still, I, honestly, I keep falling in love with it. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. He not only gets sweeter, he gets rich, richer. It gets deeper. It gets wider. It gets better in every way. It gets, that's the way God is. But not somebody who's living without God. So marriage is without God. You know, marriage is the highlight. <laughs> when you start dating in a hall, man, that's so great. You get to know each other. You're having a good time. You can hardly wait to get together. And then you get engagement. Oh, the engagement. Oh, how wonderful it is. Then you get married. You start having jobs. You start having kids. And that's wonderful too. But without God, many times, more often than not, the marriages start going downhill. The first drink from the world's bar always tastes the best. And then it goes downhill from there. It keeps getting worse. It never quite satisfies. And you know what I'm telling you is true. I don't care if you talk about drugs or alcohol or gambling or pornography. It's all the same. Look at the indulgent people, places, uh, faces, uh, amen, who, who've been doing this for a while. And I don't discriminate. I'm not trying to throw a stone. Don't un misunderstand. I'm not putting them down. I'm saying it with pity and with all the love I can muster. It is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. After they drank all their lives and, and they got livers and their kidneys are shot. Look at the lungs of smokers. I know my barber, who I went to for 20 years, died in a hospital, curled up in a fetal position because he wouldn't give up his smoking. Prostitutes. Many years of selling their bodies. Look at their faces. They all appear way beyond their years, way beyond their age. 
See, life wears you down. It beats you up. Young people, young, precious people. <sighs> Enjoy youth while you can. But the longer you live, you'll find that life will beat you up. It's going to work, paying the bills, taking care of kids. It's all the things that comes with life from morning till night. It's a chore. It's work. It's sweat. It's pressure. It's ups and downs. And it's hard. And the Bible says that the way of a transgressor is hard. When you live and doing this without God, I'm telling you, it's hard. I've been there. I remember drinking, going out partying every Friday night, Saturday, the military. And I remember, you know, getting so drunk, going home, and I said, you know, the room's spinning. And I said, oh, God, just rescue me from this, and I'll never do it again. And then next Friday night, I'm back doing the same thing, out there partying. Hallelujah, drinking my liquor. I wasn't a Christian now, but I'm still calling that to God, right? You know, I didn't even know his name. I'm saying, oh, God, you know. Now I'm, oh, I can tell you stories. But I'm not going to go deeper into that. I'm just here to tell you I've been there. I've been there. And you know what? After a while, it does not satisfy. The first drink is always the best. And from there, it just keeps on going down. The world and its habits and promise big things for you. And people keep coming back because it's so attractive. But their latter end is worse than the beginning. Because sin always leads you downhill. Psalm 106, 43 tells us that sin always brings you low. It brings you down. You cannot escape it. I don't care who you are. It would happen to me. It would happen to your neighbor sitting next to you. If you indulge in sin, hallelujah, it's going to bring you down. You indulge in some of these habit-forming things, it's going to destroy you. Hallelujah. And Jesus said that the world is the field. The field. And when you sow in the field, the field, you reap a harvest. But if you keep on sowing year after year, that same field without fertilizing or just, you know, replenishment, amen. Year after year, the crop produces less and less in that field. It's the law of diminishing returns. You can't do that without replenishment. You can't do that with refreshing. Hallelujah. And the field, Jesus said in the parable, is the world. The world will offer you its best, this best harvest at first. And then it keeps going downhill all the time. When you indulge in porn, hallelujah, oh, it feels so good. Oh, it's so great. And you know what? Then you're just so over the top. You can't get enough of it because you keep trying to get that good feeling. It's the same thing with liquor. It's the same thing with drugs. And that's why people keep overdosing on both of those things uh, until their life is shot. Uh, their life is destroyed. Uh, their relationships are destroyed. Uh, their families are broken up. Uh, hallelujah. Because the world always offers the pleasure and excitement at the beginning. But the end, the end is worse. And the Bible says that those who are living for the world, indeed, you enjoy sin for a season. Then the crop dwindles and the pleasures are less and less because it really becomes slavery. 
you become a slave to it. And you're chained to it. And you can't seem to get free. But in most people, and this is one of the biggest tragedies, but that's the nature of sin. Sin conceals the consequences of what you're doing. I don't care. Choose your, 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 your preference of sin. It, it doesn't show you what the end result is. That's why you need God. You need the Spirit of God to show you what the end result is. See, the Bible says the wages of sin is death and that the sting of sin is death. The wages of sin is death and the sting of sin is death. Sin hides the fact that it's appointed man to die but once and then judgment. People who are wrapped up in sin don't think about that. They're focused on the habit. They're focused on pleasure. They're focused on whatever has them bound. Sin conceals the truth. Sin conceals the truth that Jesus spoke in Matthew 25, 41, that all sinners will be cast whole into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I know that's rough. I know that's tough. But I'm trying to pull off the mask of sin. I'm trying to pull off that concealment that, the, that, that sin is trying to keep you from seeing. For those who are banking on this world, let me just tell you, for those who put everything in this world, which only offers pleasures for sin for a season, it only gets worse. I'm going to quit right there with the bad stuff. I'm telling you that there is good news. Turn to, your neighbor, turn to your neighbor and tell him, hey, there's good news. Amen. So fasten your seatbelts, put on your crash helmets, good, good news is coming. Hallelujah. See, Jesus always saves the best for last. An important truth to learn is that what Jesus offers. Jesus offers the bad first. I give you the best last. The sacrifice of laying down your life. It's giving your total commitment. That comes first. It gets sweeter. It gets greater. You know, even Jesus in the parable about the, the wide and, and narrow road, the, the, the broad ways to what everybody's on, at least the destruction. But with Jesus' path, it begins on a straight and narrow. Then it becomes wider when you get to heaven. It becomes bigger and greater experience of God. It starts narrow, gets broad. But with the world, it gets broad and it gets narrower. Ezekiel's vision of the temple of God, in Old Testament, I'm really digressing. Hey Amen. He's showing about the temple to come in the future. Hey Amen. It, it, it starts small and starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The rivers that he saw is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Hallelujah, it's fruitful. And everything with God starts small and gets bigger. Hallelujah. It's different than the world. See, that's what Jesus does. That's what the governor of the feast was, was so amazed about. The governor of the feast said, in essence, every man, the whole world, at the beginning, does set forth good wine. The whole world gives the best first, but not you. You save the best for last. And that's what Jesus does. He saves the best for last. I can look at creation for a moment. You know, you see the seven days. God goes through the process, seven days. And every time he created something, God said it was good. But watch this. The first day he creates light. The evening and the morning were the first day. Let me stop right there. Hallelujah. First day, light. God said it was good. But notice in Hebrew culture, 
They always measure the day from the evening to the evening. We go from morning to morning. Bible language, Bible culture, Jewish culture, it's always the evening to the evening. Hallelujah. That's why on the Sabbath day it begins the, the Friday night evening, 6 p.m. or when the sun goes down. And as soon as the sun goes down, in their calendar, it's already Saturday. It's not midnight. It's 6 p.m. at night on Friday night. It's already Saturday. And it's all for 24 hours down to 6 p.m. on Saturday night. Okay? So the evening and the morning, God said to Moses as he recorded creation, the morning and the evening were the first day. Praise God. But notice that the earth, as it turns on its axis, it turns from west to the east. It goes from darkness to light. Because that's the way God ordains things. It goes from bad to, to, to light, to good. Hallelujah. The tabernacle and temple doors faced east because that's the direction. Amen. That light comes from. That's the direction the Messiah will come from. And we all look toward the eastern sky too. Where Jesus said, as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man. But Jesus is coming from the eastern sky. Hallelujah. I will remind you that we're going from 2,000 years of struggles and battles and wars of the church age history, 2,000 years. We're coming to the end of this 2,000-year period. And we're coming from darkness to light. See, we're not just looking at the tribulation. We're not coming as looking at the Antichrist. We need to look way beyond that because the best is yet to come. And that's the millennium. It's peace. It's the presence of God. It's absence of sickness. Amen. It is God, hallelujah, that's establishing his ordained will. On the second day, God created an atmosphere. Third day, dry land seas appear. And he said it was good. It was good. Universe, stars, sun, and the moon created on the fourth day. And God said it is good. On the fifth day, fish and birds were created. And God said it is good. And then on the sixth day, he creates cattle and creeping things and other living creatures. And then... Man and woman. And then he says, it's very good. Because it goes from good to very good. It always goes from better to best. Because that's the way Jesus has it. He always saves the best for last. Can you say praise the Lord? Stand with me if you will. Your salvation and mine. For some people, I don't know why it's unpleasant to talk about repentance. Why do people have a hard time repenting of their sins? I mean, part of it is self-righteousness. Part of that is, is you know, ego. Part of that is, is their pride. Well, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm a good person. I never robbed the National Bank, Nathan. Hallelujah. Not that you did. I didn't ever kill anybody. I, I, I didn't rob the National. I didn't do anything so, so severely evil. Yet the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of that, we all need to repent. But people find it so hard. But you see, that's where the kingdom of God starts in you. That's the worst. The world offers so much worse instead of that. And all he's asking is come repent. And to get baptized, people have an aversion to that water. And yet it's warm. Yeah. Thank you, Brother Jeff. He takes care of that. Thank God we have somebody taking care of the temperature and 
the chlorine, everything is ready to baptize somebody in Jesus' name. But somebody have an aversion to baptism, amen, in water. Amen. Why do I got to do it? Look, it's God's plan. You're going to be born again of the water and the spirit. It's his plan. It starts rough. That's, that's the roughest part of this thing. And then you got to get the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I don't know why some people have an aversion of receiving the Spirit of God and speak another tongue as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. There's nothing hard about it. It is hard for some people because they not have yet learned how to exercise their faith. I understand that. But see, that's the only rough part in God's commodity that starts small. That starts rough but it begins to be bigger. See, the word says the latter house is going to be better than the former. The latter rain will be better than the former rain. And should I say the latter you will be better than the former you. If you just get born again, just get right with God and stay right. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I'm talking to people here today come from a variety of backgrounds. And whatever great peace you've experienced so far in God, whatever great experiences you did have in the Holy Ghost, that's wonderful. But I can tell you right now that God has so much more in store for you than you can ever imagine. God has so many greater things for you to experience because the best is yet to come. Solomon said in Proverbs 4.18, the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. When you're born again, start walking with God. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. Hallelujah. I'm talking to children of God. I'm talking to you, Apostolic Church. You've got the Holy Ghost. You've been born again. You've had some tough knocks, just top, uh, rugged life. Hallelujah. But I'm telling you, hallelujah, whatever great things you experience to God, there's so much more that God has for you. He saved the best for last. There's so much more. So somebody said, the devil's tomorrow is always worse than today. But the Lord's tomorrow is always brighter than yesterday. And I believe it. You need to hold on to that. And whatever your past history, no matter how things are now, it's going to get better. Just hang in there. Stick with it. Don't give in. Jesus saves the best for last. Child of God, remember. Let me just say this to somebody. If it's not going good right now, it only means it ain't over. If it's not going good, it ain't over. Hang in there. How long will it take? I don't know. God can change the process like that. He can turn water into wine. He can change his situation on a dime. He's God. He can do anything. Hallelujah. His word will not return void. You are going to bear fruit. The Lord saved the best for last and he's got something great in store for you. Bank on it. I'm going to close with this verse. 1 Corinthians 2.9 But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Do you love him? Are you ready for him? Soon the rapture is coming. It is coming. 
all the things around us happen just like he said it would. Right on time. And it's time to get ready. Because when a trumpet sounds, we're gone. And you and I will get to stand in his presence. And we're going to look around and say, Jesus, you really saved the best for last. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. It was worth it all, Lord. Oh, it was worth it all, Lord. You saved the best for last. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. You, you brought us from a land of darkness to a land of light. Oh, oh, hallelujah. That's what Jesus does. He always saves the best for last. Hallelujah. Are you ready for him? Would you worship him with the singer sing the song? Oh, Somebody reach out and put up your heavenly antennas and let the Holy Ghost flow through you one more time. Come on. Let the Holy Ghost.